Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, November 12th, 2023 by Eric Snyder from the book of Acts in chapter 7. Well, good morning. I'm happy to be here. Um, If you will turn in your Bibles or your tablets or your phones to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 8 through chapter 7, verse 1. Luke is, I'm sorry, Acts is Luke part 2. Luke part 1 was the Gospel of Luke, and it's the same writer that writes the book of Acts. He writes in the gospel, he writes everything that happened up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And Luke part two, which is the book of Acts, is everything that happened afterwards with God's people. What happened as a result of what Jesus did? Well, this is a, an interesting section in the book of Acts. This is a turning point with a young man named Stephen. We'll start at verse eight. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So what did they do? They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, the law of Moses. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. This is a body of Jewish religious leaders that uh, governed what was happening there in the religious activities around the temple. They produced false witnesses who testified, and they said, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Father, I come to you in in Jesus' name, and I'm so grateful that I get to do this. I love you, Jesus. I love your word. I love studying your word, and you've never failed to show me something amazing when when we go to your scriptures, Lord, whenever I hear somebody else, Lee or Tom or somebody else speak, or when I'm reading... And it just, you know, you, it just gets bigger and bigger, and you get bigger and bigger, and then I get all excited, and then I try to share it, and I end up, most of the time, sharing too much information. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to do that here today, Lord. I'm probably going to talk too much or say too much, and I pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, use me and speak to somebody's hearts, despite my incompetence, despite my inability to say uh, things in a way that's more easily understandable, Father. I just pray that you would 
that you, by the Holy Spirit, would move on people's hearts and that they might be able to grasp something and, and that there'd be something here that would change somebody's life, Father. And I ask all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Um, I'm going to talk about blind spots. We all have blind spots. And we think we're pretty objective about stuff. Uh, we think that we, uh, we, we're looking at things as they are, but sometimes... Most of the time, we tend to see and hear what we want to see and hear. We have what psychologists call a, a confirmation bias. We see things the way that we think they are, and everything that we see and hear we're, confirms what we believe. And this bias is based on our backgrounds, how we were raised, our language, our culture. Uh, a lot of factors go into that. Um, I'm working in a warehouse, and the, the ladies there, one particular lady, She'll say to me, Eric, stop listening with your man ears. <laughs> now, I said, what are you implying that? Because I'm a man, I have selective hearing? Is that what you're saying? She says, no, I'm not implying that. I'm saying it directly. <laughs> and clearly, you have selective hearing. And uh, I think that's what she said anyway. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but I think... Everybody has selective hearing, men and women. It's just part of being human. And when we, we do things the way we think that they are, sometimes we do things thinking that we're doing the right thing and we end up really doing the wrong thing. Do you remember how George Washington died? He died from a really bad sore throat. But it wasn't the sore throat that killed him. It was the doctors who bled him to death. Because in those days, they thought, well, you keep the, the diseases in the blood. So if we just keep bleeding, then, then the disease will leave the body, except that the more you bleed him, the more you're killing him. And that's how he died. You, you have this way of thinking that doesn't match reality. And it usually takes an outsider or somebody from somewhere else, somebody with a different perspective, something unexpected that happens outside of the norm that helps us to see things differently or to perceive things differently. Now, where I work in this warehouse, we don't have, we don't, we don't have time to stand around the water cooler and chit-chat, so we take our opportunity to chit-chat in, in, in the, well, I'm sorry, this is warehouse, in the bathroom. You know, we'll, we'll stand at the urinal, <laughs> and there's rules, you know. You, 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 as long as you look up or down, you don't do this, you just look. And we'll say whatever is not related to work, just to have a conversation. And somebody once said, hey, you know, uh, I, I, I've noticed that there aren't any female characters on cereal boxes. You know, there's Tony the Tiger, there's Toucan Sam, there's Lucky the Leprechaun, Silly Rabbit. For Where are the, there aren't any women? I said, well, you know what? I can't think of, I can't think of any female characters on cereal either. <laughs> and then in the stall next to us, we didn't think anybody was in there. This voice booms out. And it's this, we recognize the voice. It's this cranky old retired Navy guy. And he says, Smurfberry Crunch. <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me? Smurfberry Crunch has a female character 
on the cover. Well, he's right, Smurfette. It's on the cover of the Smurfberry Crunch. And there are other female characters on cereal boxes. Uh, and you wouldn't think that a retired cranky old Navy guy would be able to know something like that. But it just so happens that he, for a while, was stocking groceries at a grocery store and was exposed to hundreds of cereal boxes. So he had a different perspective. He was able to see something that we weren't able to see. Thomas Kuhn, in 1962, wrote a book about scientific revolutions and how there are paradigms that, a paradigm is the way that you see things. And there are paradigms that are firmly in place for centuries until some kind of anomaly or unique situation or some person does something that, that doesn't match up with the paradigm. And there's a paradigm shift. There's a revolution that takes place. Um, something happens as a result of that person's perspective. And it's usually, it's usually somebody from the outside, somebody that disturbs things, that helps us to see things that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And usually that person is met with, with persecution, with ridicule. Sometimes they're even killed, you know. The, you know how, who's this Copernicus guy? You know, the, the sun obviously goes around the earth. Look how little it is, you know. It's just this little thing. So, no. We're going around the sun. It's a totally mind-blowing paradigm shift. Well, that's what's happening here with Stephen. There's a paradigm shift happening. Stephen is a young man from outside, and he comes from somewhere else. And he and his buddies see something that the apostles don't see. Well, what's the backstory here? After Jesus rose from the grave, he spent 40 days hanging out with his disciples. And he told them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, that's pretty clear. And and. Luke, in fact, the whole point that he wrote Acts is to show how this handful of believers and followers of Jesus went from a small group to people that followed Jesus all over the known world at that time, how it grew. That's what, that's what Luke is writing about. He knows this, and we know this, but the apostles are listening with their man ears when Jesus is talking. When, when Jesus said, the ends of the earth, that word earth can be translated land. So they were kind of hearing, be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the land, which, which is part of how they believed things were going to happen. This is the kingdom of Israel that's going to be restored. We're going to go back to when things were with David, where David was here. That's what this is about, right? That's what they were thinking. And so they're camping out in Jerusalem. And by the time we get to this part about Stephen, they've been there for three or four years now. And the church keeps growing and growing. And it's starting to get out of hand. And things are starting to become unorganized. Now, what was mainly blocking the apostles' vision was this big building in the middle of Jerusalem called the temple. What is the temple? It's this place, the place 
that they were talking about in Acts chapter 6. It's the place that Stephen's accusers were talking about. The temple was the place where heaven and earth came together, where God in the Old Testament would appear and become present, sometimes in a physical way, like a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. And he would be present among his people. And the only place that he could, without killing everybody, was in this holy of holies in the temple. This was, this was God's place. This was, Jerusalem was headquarters. And the temple was his office. Because there's this ancient idea that deities are associated with geographic locations. And Jerusalem is God's location. And if you want to get near God, you got to go to Jerusalem. And if you really want to get God's attention, you need to go to the temple. Because this is his office. Now, in the past... The kings of Israel and the Jews, they disrespected God's office. And, and they put in idols in there and they worshiped other gods. And so God had other countries come in and take the people and move them to, out of their country to other places. And they destroyed the temple. And after 70 years, God allowed some of the people to come back and they rebuilt a new temple. And they said, we're never going to let this happen again. We're going to get serious about our faith in God. We're going to be as Hebrew as we can. We're going to follow the law of Moses. Uh, we're going to not disrespect this place. We're going to speak like Hebrews, have culture like Hebrews. We're not going to be influenced by the other nations. We're going to keep this place pure. And all the prophets in the Bible, they write about a coming day when all the nations will gather to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the temple, to worship God. There's a coming day when the nations of the world will come here. And they're going to worship God, except that, you know, you, if you're a Gentile, you can't come to the inner courts of the temple, or if you're a Samaritan. But other than that, everybody's welcome to come here, unless... You're a woman who's going through her monthly cycle. You can't come into the temple with that. So, but other than that, you're, well, unless you're a, a man who's been castrated of all things. And there's all these other conditions. But other than all those things, the nations and everybody's welcome to the temple. Well, Stephen and his buddies knew something's wrong here. Something's not right. This can't be why Jesus came. Now, Stephen knows what it's like to not be on the inside. And he's being accused of insurrection, speaking against the most essential thing for Israel's existence. If there's no temple, there's no Jerusalem. If there's no Jerusalem, there's no nation of Israel. Now, blasphemy in the Jewish mindset is to take something holy and make it seem like it's ordinary or less than holy. And that's what they're accusing him of. They're accusing him of saying that this temple of God is nothing special. Now, what was, why was Stephen an outsider? <clears throat> he was what the Bible calls a Hellenist. Now, a Hellenist means that you're Greek, basically. Uh, 
And you remember when all the Jews were scattered to other countries, they were there for centuries. And if you were born in another country and raised there, your language was going to be Greek because the Greek language was the common language of the people. And you spoke Greek and you had Greek culture and you listened to Greek music and you ate Greek food and you watched Greek plays and you were Greeky and everything. And the thing is that these Hellenist or Greek Jews were serious about their faith and some of them wanted to be closer to the God of the God of Israel and so they would move from their other countries and come and live in Jerusalem and about 20% of the population of Jerusalem were Hellenists and they weren't really liked that much because they were Greeky they didn't speak our language we don't trust their mannerisms and their cultures. So the Jews that were Hellenists were determined to be more Hebrew than the Hebrews. We're going to show you with our zeal how much we're serious about God. And so they formed their own synagogues, like this one mentioned here, the synagogue of the freedmen. But there were some Hellenists, some Greek Jews that heard about Jesus. And they believed and they became followers of Jesus, and they were all in, like Stephen, on following Jesus. And so these Hellenists that were out to prove how serious they are felt like, well, these Jesus follower Hellenists are giving us a bad name. We've got to put an end to this. We've got to stop people like this Stephen. And Stephen had a buddy named Philip, and he had five other guys that were appointed as leaders for the church in Jerusalem. Um, but they figured something out, Stephen and Philip and the others. They figured that there's something going on here. And it, it could be turned into a, a mathematical transitive law here. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Well, what are you talking about? If, if Jesus, Jesus said that he's the place where heaven and earth overlap, Right? So, and he also said that he's the temple. And if the Holy Spirit's inside of us now, then Jesus is inside of us, right? And if Jesus is inside of us, then we're the temple. So what do we need this building for? And why are we staying in Jerusalem? Shouldn't we be taking the real temple of God? Shouldn't we be taking Jesus in us to the nations of the world rather than waiting for the world to come to this building? And so Stephen starts challenging the other Hellenist Jews, starts arguing with them, and he's winning the arguments, and they're getting angry about that. They feel threatened by that. And here we come to this scene where they, they bring Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin, and they ask him, the high priest asks him, are these charges true? And rather than defending himself, Stephen goes on the offensive, and he preaches the longest sermon, one of the longest. Jesus preached one longer sermon. This is one of the longest sermons in the Bible. And I'm going to go through it point by point. No, I'm not going to do that. No. I'm going to give you a summary of what Stephen says. Stephen is saying, what I'm saying is nothing new here. I'm going to go in the Bible, and I'm going to show you that all your heroes, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Joshua, guess what? 
They're from somewhere else. They're from Mesopotamia. They're from Egypt. They're from the wilderness, the Arabian wilderness. And yet God was with them and among them. And your ancestors rejected them just like you rejected the, the real temple, Jesus. And by implication, just like you're now rejecting me. Well, they're getting madder by the minute. And he calls them a key verse, the key verse. This is the gasoline on the fire. Everything was steaming hot at this point. Then he throws gas on the fire in chapter 7 and verse 48. He calls them stiff-necked jerks, okay? That's not what does it. There's a key thing that he says in verse 48. He says, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. Well, wait a minute. What is that? Why did that make him so mad? Because the phrase made by human hands is a Greek word that is always attached to idols. They know this word. An idol is an object made by human hands. So Stephen is saying, you're, you're saying I'm a blasphemer? You idolize this building. You worship the building, not the God of Israel. You're the idolizers. They lose their mind. They drag him out of the, of the temple where this meeting was. They take him outside the city and they stone him. And then they go after all the other Hellenist Christians and even the other Christians. But they don't go after the apostles, the 12 disciples. And guess what? The 12 disciples weren't at Stephen's trial. Because maybe the 12 disciples were uncomfortable with some of the things that Stephen was saying. But they, these Hellenist Jews go after the other Christians. And the other Christians leave Jerusalem and they're on the run, but they're not running away. Guess what? They go on the offensive. Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel in Samaria. And there's a revival that breaks out in Samaria and people start believing in Jesus. And then God sends him to Gaza. Yeah, the same Gaza where he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. This is an African administrator, a powerful man who is castrated. And this guy believes in Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Why this Samaritans castrated? These are people who can't go into the temple. Philip's making a point here. Just like Jesus made a point when he went to the woman in Samaria at the well, and just like he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood. These are people who can't go in the temple. But they can go to this temple, the temple of Jesus. And then the other, Helen, the other Hellenist Christians, the other buddies, they went on the offensive. They moved to Antioch in Syria, and they started the most legendary church in Christendom. And it was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And they ended up sending missionaries all over the world, and they ended up funding the church in Jerusalem. So we see this movement coming out through these young men who were from somewhere else, and the gospel and the church spread. And God was saying, yep, your math is right, you outsiders. A equals C. Now, eventually, the 12 apostles are able to see past their blind spot. And they get with the program. And there's a paradigm shift that happens here. And they realize the kingdom of God is not a place. It's a person. It's not a building. It's a people. 
Have you ever felt like an outsider? I know I have. In fact, I can't think of many places I feel like I fit in. And you might have come here this morning and thought, man, I just don't know if I fit in here. I know exactly what that feels like. A lot of places I don't fit in. <clears throat> You're in good company. Jesus loves outsiders. He loves people on the margins. He loves people who people are overlooking. And it's those people who help us to see our blind spots, people from a different perspective. I used to go to um, lunch every week with uh, Bishop Clarence Davis in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he was an African-American pastor, and he would always try to challenge my blind spots. And, and he would ask me he, a typical question. He said, when you think of, when I say the word Moses, for instance, what one word description about what Moses is about comes to your mind? I mean, who he was, what he did. I thought a minute, I said, lawgiver. He said, yeah, that's usually what white people say. <laughs> I said, my folks say liberator. Oh, yeah. How did I not see that? The law giving was a means to the ultimate end of liberation. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land, Moses said, which is what I, Isaiah quoted, which is what Jesus quoted. It's about liberation. It's the people on the outside that help us see things. I need the perspective of, I need the perspective of people who aren't like me. I need the perspective of women. I need the perspective of other races. I need the perspective of immigrants. I need the perspective of young people and older people. Wait a minute, aren't you an older person? I know some of you are thinking that. No. There are people actually older than me. But young, young people, do you realize every revival that's broken out is started by young people? It's, it's the young people who create paradigm shifts, who change things, and they revolutionize the way the church does stuff, the way we worship here today with drums and guitars. It's the young people that started that. And these revivals that break out from a young person's perspective the kingdom of God is open to everyone, Amen. especially those who don't feel like they belong there. Okay? Now, we've got a table sitting before us, and um, it's all inclusive. And then what I'm going to qualify that this way. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you, and also... If you want to follow Jesus, this table is for you. These, these elements, this bread and this juice, represents Jesus' broken body. When, when Philip was talking to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. And he didn't understand it. Because it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, the, the whip marks on his back, we are healed. His body was broken for us, and his blood was spilled for us. And when we partake of these things, he said, you're doing this in remembrance of me. But in essence, what you're doing is, this is a prayer. This is saying, yes to Jesus. I receive Jesus. 
I'm saying yes to him. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, by all means, come up here and take part of this table. Now, if you don't want to say yes to Jesus, then don't pray the prayer. But if you do, you're welcome. And for those of you who already follow Jesus, guess what? You're saying yes to Jesus again. Maybe there's somebody that Jesus wants me to forgive. Maybe there's somebody that he wants me to speak to. Maybe, maybe there's a problem in my life that's overwhelming me, and he's saying, take this. Take how I want you to trust me on you. Say yes to me through whatever it is you're going through. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and take part of the table. We will pour out our hearts to you, Jesus. Whatever the offering may cost, for with love you have bought and received us. Now our former gains we count Waste is our love, says the world, but to you it's a fragrance so sweet. So we love you, Jesus our Lord. May this be the song we repeat. We love you, Lord. We love. Lord, we love.